Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime sessions, which take place every Friday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. in the Mythological African Twitter space. In this episode, we explore folklore from ancient Egypt. today because I believe it or not I've read like snippets from the book of the dead and I've read like commentary but I've really not delved that much into ancient Egyptian folklore I was looking at this book and thinking to myself whoa when you really think about it this this is OG African folklore right here um so I'm really excited about the story today because I, I started reading the, the story that we want, we're going to focus on today. And there's already so much that is interesting about it because it, it parallels, you know, a few things that we'll talk about. But, you know, it really highlights just how dominant um, ancient Egypt was as a producer of knowledge, as a producer of, of philosophy as you know the the main the cultural center center of the ancient world and to me that is important because as much as people try to claim otherwise ancient egypt was an african civilization and their their impact is apparent when you look at african cultures you know as far as south africa you see the influence of of ancient egypt in art in stories in music there is there is just so much there that that is um, traces back to ancient Egypt. I remember um, it's a, a either a Roman or a Greek one of these old guys who wrote you know the classic works, and he made a comment about how in the Egyptian palaces you have um, uh, quote unquote pygmies right who sang and dance and pygmies is the not so PC term used to describe the forest people the short statute forest people who are found all over central and southern Africa and so you think about the fact that this was you know from way back in the day and you had these people from central and southern Africa in conversation in communication with ancient Egypt so there was movement going back and forth there were stories and ideas flowing back and forth and that it, it's always exciting for me to hear that and to witness this, whether it's showing up in art or in folklore, because it really challenges that notion that the African continent was this, you know, dark, misunderstood, unknown place that, you know, Europeans opened up and, you know, made sense of. Um, so I, I'm really excited. Today we are reading from a book called Popular Stories of Ancient Egypt. It's by Gaston Maspero. And it's available on Internet Archive, which I always have to stop to give a spiel about because the Friday story time and much of what we do here on Mythological Africans would really not be possible without Internet Archive. It's an online library where you can check out books for a limited amount of time. And they are currently facing a lawsuit from a group of publishers who, you know, allege that it's a violation of copyright. And, you know, it's a big case and there's a lot at stake but the one thing to remember is basically you know it's not a free for all right like i have this book checked out right now nobody else in the world can access this book until i release it so it's controlled it's not you know just things going on there and people getting it anyhow anyhow and this is important to me because many of the books the collection of folk tales um, commentary by ethnographers and anthropologists about African peoples. A lot of these books are going out of print. And, you know, there's an argument that maybe they should, because in many ways, these people, what they documented of African life, you know, was not true to to, to the source, right? It was influenced by their biases, by their assumptions, by their misunderstandings. But you know, there is also the point where it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater because for many of us, 
some of these books, even with their 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 um, incorrect information, is still a source of information, a starting point that you can use to ask relevant questions, especially since in many communities, elders are passing on, the knowledge has not been fully documented. So it's 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 a give and take, it's a balance to strike. Um, I use the Internet Archive pretty much every day. And um, so I hope you will consider, you know, giving them support or creating an account and checking out the, the books that they have. That's the best way to really understand what they do. So this is not a paid sponsorship. Let's just make that clear. Um, I use the archive and I am just, I really believe in what they are doing. So I, at every chance I get, make a point to highlight the, the good that this collection does to the world and for me. So you're all welcome. We are reading today from Gaston Maspero's um, Popular Stories of Ancient Egypt. And these are, um, of course, putting it in the right context, this was the work of, you know, people who pretty much violated, you know, sacred lands and, you know, pulled out this knowledge and pap papyri and manuscripts and put them into books. And there is the whole hist historical context around that, um, which is very problematic. Um, and that's the reality we're living in. However, it does give us, you know, access to these stories and that's 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 the part i choose to celebrate because we we get to read these stories we get to get a glimpse at what life was like back in the day so today we're going to read the first story the first of the complete stories in the book the story of the two brothers and um i i really want to get into this story because for for various reasons first because it gives us a lot of details about what life really was like in ancient Egypt, um, at least at the time when this particular story was collected. And also because it has some interesting parallels, which I am sure we will all, we will all, you know, start picking up, picking up on in, in not too long. So welcome again, welcome again. I'm really glad you guys are here. Um, it's been a bit rocky the last couple of weeks as we transition to a new time. Um, normally, this story time is held at 6 p.m. Eastern, but I had to transition to 5 p.m. because, you know, I have other things that I need to do later in the day, work, basically. So I really appreciate you guys being flexible with me here. And we will start with the story of the two brothers. The story of the two brothers, uh, let me make sure I have the right page here. My internet is a bit slow sometimes. All right, so the story of the two brothers um, has been in existence for over 3,000 years. So this is, you know, this has been around for a while. And um, where if you check the book out and read, there are notes, there are copious notes, which is something that is great about how these people did it. There are copious notes about the manuscript from which the story comes, the time uh, context out of which it comes. But this is this is an old, old story. Um, the story starts on page three. The first couple of pages in the book are a bunch of notes and commentary about folklore. So if you're going to look at it yourself, the story starts on page three, which... Um, we're going to start right now. So, the story of the two brothers. There were once two brothers who were sons of the same mother and of the same father. Anupu was the name of the elder, while Baiti was the name of the younger. Now, Anupu had a house and a wife, but his younger brother lived with him altogether as a junior. It is he who fashioned the stuffs, even as he followed the cattle to the fields. It was he who did the plowing. It was he who beat out the grain. He who performed all the field work for this younger brother was an excellent worker and he had no equal in the entire land, but the seed of every God was in him. And many days after that, when the younger brother was behind his cows, according to his daily custom, he came every evening to his house laden with all the plants of the field as is done on returning from the fields. He laid them down before his elder brother who was seated with his wife. He ate, he drank, he slept in his stable with the cows each day. And when the earth lightened and it was the second day, as soon as the loaves were baked, he placed them before his elder brother who gave him some loaves for the field. He drove his cows to feed in the fields and while he walked behind his cows, they said to him, the grass is good in such a place. 
For as to him, he listened to all that they said and guided them to the good pasturage they desired. And they, the cows that were with him, they became fine, exceedingly, exceedingly. They multiplied their birds exceedingly, exceedingly. And on a time at the season of tillage, his elder brother said to him, Prepare for us our oxen, then we may set to work, for the land has emerged out of the water and is good for tillage. Thou therefore go thou to the field with the seed, for we will begin to work tomorrow morning. Thus he spake to him, and his younger brother did all the things that his elder brother had said to him, as many as they were. When the earth lightened and it was the second day, they went to the fields with their team to begin work, and their hearts were joyous, exceedingly, exceedingly, with their work, and they did not cease from work. And many days after that, while they were in the fields and were hoeing, the elder brother sent his younger brother, saying, Run, bring us the seed from the village. The younger brother found the wife of his elder brother, who was having her hair dressed. He said to her, Up, give me the seed that I may return to the fields, for my elder brother waits for me. Do not cause me to delay. She said to him, Go, open the hutch and take what pleases thee, so that the dressing of my hair may not be left unfinished. The youth went into the stable. He fetched a large jar for his intention was to take plenty of grain. He filled it with wheat and with barley, and he went out under the load. What is the quantity that is on thy shoulder? The wife said to him. Barely three measures, he said to her. Wheat, two measures, five in all, that is what I have on my shoulder. Thus he said to her, but she addressed him, saying, There is great prowess in thee, and I observe thy strength each day. And her heart went out to him as one desires a young man. She arose, she laid hold on him, and she said, Come, let us lie together for the space of one hour. If thou wilt grant me this in faith, I will make thee two boatier's garments. The youth became like a cheetah in the south, in hot rage, because, the evils, because of the evil suggestion she had made to him. And she was frightened exceedingly, exceedingly. He spoke to her, saying, But in truth thou art to me as a mother, and thy husband is to me as a father, and he who is my elder, it is he who enables me to live. Ah, this horrible thing that thou hast said to me, do not say it to me again. And for me, I shall tell it to no one. I shall not let it escape from my mouth for anyone. He took up his burden and went to the fields. When he reached his elder brother, they set to work at their labor. And after that, at the time of the evening, when the elder brother returned to his house and the younger brother was following his beast, bearing all the things of the fields and guiding his beast before him to go to rest in the stables in the village, the wife of the elder brother was afraid concerning that she, concerning that she had said. So she took some fat, a rag, and made herself appear as one who had been beaten by an evildoer in order to say to her husband, it is thy younger brother who has beaten me. When therefore her husband returned in the evening, according to his daily habit, on arriving at his house, he found his wife laying down, as though mournful owing to violence. She poured no water over his hands according to her daily habit. She made no light before him, but his house was in darkness, and she was lying down all swirled. Who then has spoken with thee? her husband said to her. None has spoken with me except thy younger brother, she said. When he came to take the seed for thee, finding me seated quite alone, he said to me, Come, that we may lie together for the space of an hour. Put on thy fine garments. And he spoke thus to me, and I did not listen to him. But am I not thy mother, for thy elder brother, is he not to thee a father? Thus I spoke to him. And he was afraid. He beat me, that I might not make report to thee. If thou therefore permits him to live, I shall kill myself, for behold, when he returns this evening, as I have complained of his evil words, what he will do is evident. The elder brother became like a cheetah of the south. He sharpened his knife, he took it in his hand. The elder brother placed himself behind the door of his stable in order to kill the younger brother, when he should come in the evening to bring his beast to the stable. And when the sun set, the younger brother carried up all the plants of the field according to his daily habit, and he came, the cow in front, at the entrance to the stable, but as he came, the cow in front, at the entrance to the stable, said to her guardian, Here is thy elder brother who stands before thee with his knife to kill thee. Escape from him, 
When he had heard what the cow in front said, the second one said the same as she entered. He looked below the door of the stable. He perceived the feet of his elder brother who was standing behind the door, his knife in his hand. He placed his load on the ground and he fled with all his might. His elder brother started in pursuit with his knife. And the young brother cried to Fra Harmake, saying, Good master, it is thou that judged iniquity justly. And Fra heard his call. Fra heard his lamentations and caused a large piece of water to appear between him and his elder brother. It was full of crocodiles and one of them was, was on one side and one on the other. And twice the elder brother flung out his hand to strike him, but he did not kill him. This is what he did. His younger brother called to him on the bank, saying, Remain there until the earth lightens. When the sun this rises, I will plead with thee before it, that I may establish the truth, for I shall never again be with thee. I shall never again be in the places where thou would be. I shall be in the vale of the acacia. And when the earth lightened, and it was the second day, Far Hamakis having risen, each one perceived the other. The youth addressed his elder brother, saying to him, Why dost thou come behind me to kill me by craft, without having heard what my mouth had to say? For me, I am truly thy younger brother, but thou, thou art like a father, and a wife to me as a mother. Is that not so in truth? Yet when thou didst send me for the grain, thy wife said to me, Come, let us pass an hour, lie with me. And lo, has this been perverted to be a different thing? He made known to him all that had passed between him and the woman. He swore by Farhamaki, saying, Thou to come behind me to kill me by craft, thy dagger in thy hand, by treason, what infamy? He took a bill hook for curtain reeds. He severed his viral member. He cast it into the water where the electric catfish devoured it. He sank down. He fainted. The elder brother cursed his heart exceedingly, exceedingly, and he remained there and wept over him. He leapt, but he could not pass over to the bank where his younger brother was because of the crocodiles. His younger brother called to him, saying, Thus, thus, whilst thou didst imagine an evil action, thou didst not recall one of the good actions or even one of the things that I did for thee. Ah, go to thy house and do thou thyself care for thy cattle, for I shall not live longer in the place where thou art. I shall go to the vale of Acacia. Yet here is what thou shalt do for me. When thou art returned to thy business, for thou know thou the thing that will happen to me, I shall take out my heart by magic to place it at the top of the flower of the Acacia. And when the Acacia is cut down and my heart falls to the ground, thou shalt come to seek for it. When thou shalt have passed seven years in seeking for it, be not disheartened, but when, but when once thou hast found it, found it, place it in a vase of fresh water. Without doubt, I shall live anew and recompense the evil that has been that shall have been done to me. Now wilt thou, now thou wilt know that something is happening to me when a pitcher of beer is put into thy hand and it throws up forth. Another of wine shall be given to thee, and it shall become thick. Do not delay in truth, when that shall happen to thee. And so he departed to the vale of Acacia, and his elder brother returned to his house, his hand on his head, daubed with dust. When he arrived at his house, he killed his wife, threw her to the dogs, and he continued to mourn for his younger brother. So let's pause there. That's about halfway through the story. And just reflect for a bit. Um, let me go through and make sure. Everybody has the ability to speak if they want to. I think I already gave you permission. Hi, Meg. Good to have you. Hello, Sonia. So first off, what is this story reminding you guys of? Just curious. And hopefully you can all still hear me because sometimes this Twitter behaves are weird. If you can't speak, you can also use the, there's a little chat uh, icon in the bottom right hand corner of the, of the space. So you can type a response or you can DM me if you're having trouble all the way.
All right. I'm going to assume that people are having trouble connecting. Um, the first thought that comes to me when I read, read this story, it sounds quite a lot like the story of Joseph and Potiphar, doesn't it? Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And um, which makes sense because when you think about it, this is, you know, a story from 3,000 or so years ago, ancient Egypt, and um, probably was in circulation. And, you know, if the Hebrew people passed time in Egypt, this is definitely a story that passed into their lexicon. Um, and I don't want to speculate about the direction in which stories move, because that's something I try to avoid here. The story exists. It's in the culture. It's in the folklore. And each person who has contact with that story has a right to frame it as they, as they wish to. Um, but I thought that was interesting how similar this is to the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. But also just from this first part of the story, the little bits of information that we glean about life back in the day. And there is there is more details in the notes, you know, like the fact that um, when two people, two brothers live together, um, they share a lot sometimes, including wives and concubines. So it makes you wonder what the dynamic was that this woman you know felt like she could just do whatever the heck she wanted but what what really is interesting for me is just the details of daily life right the the position that the younger brother held the fact that he was doing um the work you know a loyal little brother to his to his elder brother and just the cycles of life right we know that the flooding of the nile played a very important role in the um life cycle of, of of Egyptian. So his brother saying the, the waters have receded, it's time to plant. It makes sense because when the waters recede, it leaves behind fertile soil that, you know, drove a huge chunk of the Egyptian Egyptian um, economy. Um, but also something that struck me as interesting and noteworthy was the relationship between the um between the the the, the boy and his cattle. Right, the fact that he was in communication with them and they would tell him things, and it was actually one of his cows who warned him of the fact that you know your brother is hiding behind the door um, with a knife waiting to kill you. I thought that was I thought that was really fun to note, um, and, and I think it speaks to just the the harmony that people had between themselves and um, the world that they they live in. I know my cat; she she's you know she's attuned to this thing. I think she's a She's a, she's a, I don't know what, 21st century cat. Sorry, guys, um, I'm responding to the comment about my cat meowing in the background um, because she always tries to make her voice heard one way or other. She's either meowing or she is in her cat box and here she comes now. Or if I'm on Zoom, she'll jump up and, you know, show face because she's glamour kitty. She has to be seen, but it's her right now. Anyway, back to, back to the story. Um, so just fascinating little glimpses of, of life. And that's what I I really like about folklore because you could dismiss it as, um, oh, it's just a story. But quite often these stories are, you know, chock full of tiny details about how people lived, about how people, what people believe, you know, their, their daily life. And, um, you know, we, we see here that he, call, he called out to, to Ra, and um, in the commentary, what's coming up is that um, Ra is the sun, right? The sun god who is like the dominant force in, in ancient Egyptian life. Um, and there are notes, you know, in the story about the iteration of Ra that was being referenced to um, at this point in history um, because things would move around from time to time. And that's just, we're not going to go into all of that now. But also reference to the reference to the veil um, of of acacia, which is um, noted in the story as somewhere that he goes to after after he dies. So just little little things like that, which you know come up and um, give some context to the story, give some context to the life um, uh, that the people lived and what they what they how they you know, navigated their lives, what they believed in. Um, another thing I found interesting was just the measure, how they measured the grain. Um, and and to me, this 
of course it's not anything new per se but it speaks to you know the just the sophistication that the the, the ancient egyptian world had i i i'm reading you know as is my manner reading multiple books at the same time a book on african philosophy and it is written by theophil obenga and he takes the time to trace some of the major thinkers the founding um, thinkers of african philosophy and he rightly traces it back to to ancient egypt because like i said before at the beginning this was a dominant cultural center in the world and you know the the idea that you know this 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 part of the world is where a lot of what we know in terms of science and philosophy and culture culture that's not new right we we know that you know the greeks and the romans and all these other people and you know the persians and all these civilizations were in communication with egypt and so that's that's always you know something worth exploring something to take pride in right um what does want something else I wanted to comment on before we go back to the story, but just so we keep with time, I'm going to go back to the story and then um whatever I was going to say if I remember. But anyway, I hope we're keeping up. Um I I really like the story because of the tiny tiny details it gives, you know, about just how people are how people lived and what they did and what they believed. So we have, we ended with the younger brother casting this spell and, you know, sending himself off to the veil of Acacia, which the note here says that it's the um, Shinerary Valley, um, also the veil of Cheddar or the, the Sed, how do you say that word, Cedar? I always say Cheddar for some weird reason, or Cedar and Pine and Cypress. Um, and it corresponds to the Shinerary Valley where Amon, the god of feeders, went for a visit every year to render homage to his father and mother who were supposed to have been buried there. So, all right. The younger brother passes on. So, two, 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 where were we? Uh, okay. So he goes home, he kills his wife, throws her to the dogs, which is cold-hearted, but hey, Some might say she had it coming, right? Okay. And many days after that, the younger brother being in the veil of the acacia without anyone with him, employed the day in hunting the beasts of the desert. And he came to spend the night under the acacia, where his heart was placed at, on the top of its flower. And many days after that, he constructed with his hand in the veil of acacia an esbe, filled with everything good, in order to form a house for himself. As he went out from his esbe, he met the Nuvain of the gods, who were going forth to rule the affairs of the entire line. The Nuvain of the gods spoke all together and said to him, O Baiti, bull of the Nuvain of the gods, art thou not here alone, for having left thy country before the wife before the wife of Anupu, thy elder brother? Lo, his wife is slain, and thou hast rendered to him all that has been done of evil against thee. Their hearts suffered for him exceedingly, exceedingly. And Fra Hamakis said to, to Knumu, O fashion a wife for Baiti, in order that thou mayst not be alone. And so Knumu made him a companion to dwell with him, who was beautiful in her members more than any woman in the entire land, for the seed of all the gods was in her. The seven Hathors came to see her, and they said with one voice, Let her die by the sword. Baiti desired her exceedingly as she dwelt in his house, while he passed the day hunting the beasts of the desert in order to lay them before her. He said to her, Do not go out, for fear the river should seize thee. Thou knowest not how to escape it, for thou art merely a woman. As for me, my heart is placed at the top of the flower of the acacia, and if another should find it, it would be necessary for me to fight him. He accordingly revealed to her all that concerned his heart. And many days after that, Baiti, having gone hunting according to his habit of every day, as the girl had gone out to walk under the acacia which was near her house, lo, she perceived the river which drew its waves towards her. She fled before it. She entered into her house. And the river cried out to the acacia, saying, Let me take possession of her. And the acacia delivered up a tress of her hair. The river carried it into the Egypt and deposited it at the streamlet of the laundrymen of Pharaoh. 
The scent of the ringlet penetrated the linen of Pharaoh, and they blamed the laundrymen of Pharaoh, saying, Scent of pomade in the linen of Pharaoh. They scolded them every day so much that they did not know what they were doing. And the chief of the washermen of Pharaoh came to the stringlet, for his heart was annoyed exceedingly with the scoldings he received every day. He stopped. He stayed at the rivulet just opposite the lock of hair which was in the water. He caused someone to go down, who brought it to him, finding that it smelled sweet exceedingly, and so he carried it to Pharaoh. They fetched the scribes, the sorcerers of Pharaoh, and they said to Pharaoh, This lock of hair belongs to a daughter of Rahamakis, who has her in the essence, who has in her the essence of all the gods. O thou that received homage from foreign lands, cause messengers to go to all the foreign lands to find this damsel. And the messenger who shall go to the vale of Acacia, cause that plenty of men go with him to bring her back. Behold, his majesty said, It is perfect, perfect, that which ye have said. And so they sent away the messengers. And many days after that, the men who had gone to the foreign land came to report to his majesty. But those who had gone to the vale of the Acacia did not come. Baiti, having killed them, left only one of them to report to his majesty. His majesty caused a number of men and archers and some charioteers to go fetch the damsel. Also a woman was with them, who gave into her hand all the fine trinkets of a woman. This woman came to Egypt with her, and they rejoiced over her in the entire land. His majesty loved her exceedingly, exceedingly, so well that one who so well that one proclaimed her his principal favorite. One spake to her to cause her to tell about her husband, and she said to his majesty, Let them cut down the acacia, and he will be destroyed. One sent men and archers to cut down the acacia. They cut down the flower on which was the heart of Baiti, and in that evil hour he fell dead. And when the earth lightened, and it was the second day after the acacia had been cut down, when Anuku, the elder brother of Baiti, had entered his house and was seated, having washed his hands, a jug of beer was given him, and it spurted out forth. Another of wine was given him, and he became thick with scum. He seized his staff and his sandals, and also his garments with his weapons, and he started to walk to the vale of the Acacia. He entered the villa of his younger brother, and he found his younger brother laid dead on his bed. He wept when he perceived his younger brother lying down as though dead. He went to seek the heart of his younger brother on the, the Acacia, under the shelter of which his younger brother slept at night. He spent three years in the search without finding it. As he entered upon the fourth year, when his heart desiring to come to Egypt, he said, I will go tomorrow. Thus he said in his heart. And when the earth lightened and it was the second day, he went under the acacia. He passed the day searching. When he returned in the evening and looked around him to search afresh, he found a seed. He returned with it and lo, it was the heart of his younger brother. He brought a cup of fresh water. He threw into it. He, threw, he brought a fresh cup of water. He threw it into it. He seated himself according to his habit of every day. And when it became night, the heart, having absorbed the water, Baiti trembled in all his members, and he gazed fixedly at his elder brother while his heart was in the cup. Anupu, the elder brother, seized the cup of fresh water in which was the heart of his younger brother, who drank, and his heart was in place, and he became as he was before. Each of them embraced the other. Each of them spoke with his companion. And then Baiti said to his elder brother, Lo, I am about to become a great bull which will have all the right hairs, and of which the nature will not be known. Sit thyself on my back when the sun arises, and when we are at the place where my wife is, I will give some answers. Thou, therefore, conduct me to the place where one is, and all good shall be done to thee. Thou wilt be laden with silver and gold for having led me to Pharaoh. For I shall be a great miracle, and men will rejoice because of me in the entire land. And then thou shalt go thence into thy city. And when the earth lightened, and the second day was, Baiti changed into the form of which he had spoken to his elder brother. Anupu, his elder brother, seated himself on his back at the daybreak, and he arrived at the place where one was. He made known to his majesty. He looked at him. He became joyful exceedingly. He made him a great entertainment, saying, It is a great miracle that has happened. And they rejoiced over him in the entire land. They loaded his elder brother with silver and gold, and he settled himself in his city. They gave numerous attendants and numerous gifts to the bull, for Pharaoh loved him exceedingly, more than all men in the entire land.
And many days after the bull entered the harem, and he stopped at the place where the favorite was, he spake to her, saying, Behold, I am alive, nevertheless. Who art thou then? she said to him. I am Baizi. Thou knowest well when thou didst cause the acacia to, to he hewn down by Sarah, that it would do me such injury that I could live no longer. But behold, I live nevertheless. I am a bull. The favorite was afeared exceedingly on account of that which was spoken to her by her husband. He went out of the harem, and his majesty, having come to spend a happy day with her, she was at the table of his majesty. And one was kind to her exceedingly. And she said to his majesty, Swear to me by God, saying that thou saying that thou saying that which thou shalt say to me, I will listen to it for thee. He listened to it. He listened to all that she said. Hold on, you guys. Let me make sure I'm locked back in my phone shut down. My apologies. He listened to all that she said. Let there be given the liver of that bull to eat, for he will do nothing worth doing. Or let there be given me the liver of that bull to eat, for he will do nothing worth doing. Thus she spake to him. One was grieved what one was grieved with that she said exceedingly, and the heart of Pharaoh was sick exceedingly. When the earth lightened and the second day came, a great feast of offerings in honor of the bull was proclaimed. And one of the chief butchers of his majesty was sent to cut the throat of the bull. Then after his throat was cut, while he was on the shoulders of the men who were carrying him, he twitched his neck and let fall two drops of blood near the double flight of steps of his majesty. One of them was on the great side of the great doorway of Pharaoh, and the other on the great and the other on the other side. And they sprang up into two great Percy trees, each of them of great beauty. And they went to tell his majesty, two great Percy trees have grown as a great miracle for his majesty during the night, close to the doorway of his majesty. And they rejoiced concerning them in the entire land, and one made offerings to them. And many days after that, his majesty adorned himself with the diadem of lapis lazuli. His neck hung with garlands of all manner of flowers. He mounted his chariot of vermilion. He went forth from the royal palace in order to see the Percy trees. The favorite went in a chariot with two horses in the suit of Pharaoh. For his majesty seated himself under one of the Percy trees, and the favorite seated herself under the other Percy tree. When she was seated, the Percy spoke to his wife, O perfidious one, I am by thee, and I live, ill-treated by thee. Thou knew as well that to have the acacia tree cut down by Pharaoh was to do me an injury. I became a bull, and thou hast caused me to be killed. And many days after that, when the favorite was at the table of his majesty and one was, fav and one was favorable to her, she said to his majesty, Grant me an oath by God, saying, That which the favorite shall say to me, I shall listen to it for her. Speak. And he listened to all that she speak. She said, Cause the two purses to be hewn down and made into fine coffers. One listened to all that she said, and after many days, after, and many days after that, his majesty sent skillful carpenters, and they cut down the Percy of Pharaoh. And standing there seeing it done was the royal spouse, the favorite. A chip flew out, entered the mouth of the favorite, and she perceived that she had conceived. The coffers were made, and one did with them all that she wished. And many days after that, she brought a male child into the world, and they went to tell his majesty. A man-child is born to thee. They brought him. They gave him wet nurses and under nurses. They rejoiced concerning him in the entire land. They began to make a feast. They began to be in his name. His majesty loved him exceedingly. Forthwith, and he proclaimed royal son, and he was proclaimed royal son of Kalshu. And many days after his majesty made him hereditary prince of the entire land. And many days after that, when he had been many years hereditary prince of the entire land, his majesty took flight to the sky. One said, let the great officials of his majesty be brought, that I may cause them to know all that has happened with regard to me. They brought his wife to him, and he judged her before them, and they ratified his judgment. They brought his elder brother to him and made him hereditary prince of the entire land. He was twenty years king of Egypt, then he passed from life, and his elder brother was in his place on the day of the funeral. 
This book is finished in peace for the double, the scribe, treasurer, Quagabu, of the treasure of Pharaoh, of the scribe, Harari, of the scribe, Maye Mapit, the scribe, Enana. The owner of this book has made it. Whoever speaks against this book, may thoughts challenge him to single combat. So, lots going on with this story, which, you know, is just layers and layers and layers and layers. And something I find interesting is, you know, how this this man keeps changing form. So he goes, you know, to the Vale of Acacia and he becomes a bull and the bull, you know, goes to the fair and he has, because the bull is a sacred animal, he has free reign of the palace and he's able to go into the harem and, you know, talk to this woman. And she, you know, probably trying to cover her tracks, has him killed. But then, you know, his drops of blood from these two trees who are also sacred. And um, they take pride in it. They come to sit under it. And he reminds her, you know, I'm still here. You haven't killed me yet. And even when she cuts the tree down, you know, a little chip flies out and she becomes pregnant. It's like she can't, she can't escape, you know, the, the fact that she, she, she betrayed this guy. So it's... And something something I try to be careful, right, is not to even attempt to interpret, you know, what this story is saying. Because my instinct is that, you know, each deity that is mentioned, each sacred animal, each sacred plant, there's layers of symbolism that someone who has the right ear will hear the story and know um, what is being referred to. And I don't know the context in which this story was um, necessarily recited, so I, I can't speak to that. But what, what, what I, what I just love is the fact that even in those days, right, there was always, you know, family drama for one, um, bedroom drama for another. Like that, if there is one thing that is constant about humanity, is that we always have these little peccadillos that we find find ourselves caught up in, right? And um, it's not limited to the realm of humans, right? It flows into the realm of the gods. Um, is anybody, does anybody notice anything interesting about the story so far? We noted the similarity to the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife in the beginning. Um, is there anything that's jumping out to anyone, anything else? If not, um, I will make a note, and this this might be a bit of a stretch, um, but I noticed that the so the the cycle where this um, bull shows up, and the woman orders for the bull to be killed, and then the bull, you know, two drops of blood sprout out from its neck, and form trees, and the woman orders them to be cut down. Um, this seems to be a you know a motif that shows up quite a bit in folk tales, and I say this it struck me because it. It, it is um, a story. There is a story that I retell in my book, The Runaway Princess and Other Stories. And it's, for, it's a Zulu folktale about um, a woman who uh, lost her mother and her father remarries and her new mother. It's kind of a Cinderella type story. And, but then the place where her mother was buried, a tree sprouts up there. And her stepmother, well, no, first... Um, a tree sprouts up, yes, a tree sprouts up and the tree was giving her food because she, she, the woman was starving her and she's eating the food and her stepmother goes to her father and says, you need to cut that tree down. So her stepmother cuts the tree down. Um, but then the tree falls down and um, the, the from the place where the tree rots, a pumpkin tree, a pumpkin pine uh, vine grows and pumpkin grows there and it's more food for the girl. But then the stepmother goes to the dad and says, that pumpkin is no good. You need to cut it down. So the dad cuts it down. And then the woman was also depriving the girl of water. So, and she had to walk a long distance to go fetch water. Um, so a spring sprung up not far from the tree. And the woman went to the man and said, you need to cut that. You need to, to fill up that stream with sand because it's no good. And so just this cycle of, you know, something good happening and someone getting in the way. Um, that's something else that stood out to me in the story. Um, and there is there is a sense in which I guess this can be looked at as the trials of the 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 hero or the heroine in the story, right? Um, different um, challenges popping up, you know, with the magical helpers showing them, you know, how to turn and how to navigate 
different ways to to overcome and you know someone always getting in the way to redirect to 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 take away the the good things that are happening so but then if we want to wade into tracing the history of story waters given that this story is just so 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 old like one of the the you know older older stories who is to say that this is not you know a way of a, a way of storytelling a way of getting a, a point across that you know originated in these traditions and flowed you know into europe and flowed into the middle east and flowed into africa the rest of the african continent as we know it so these these are just little things that i i will take note of as as i read because you know making these connections without like i said getting too caught up in you know where stories come from and things like that um are always are always interesting to me but we can't refuse the fact that you know Egypt, you know, ancient Egypt is a dominant, dominant um, cultural power. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, this this kind of storytelling, these motifs, these ideas did come out of um, ancient Egyptian um, society. So let's go one more round. Is anybody noticing, is there anything that um, anyone noticed that you might want to, might want to um, focus on? There's a note here um, about Apis the the bull. Um, and the the other thing that popped in my head as we as they talked about the bull, not directly related, but there is also a, a sacred bull in the story. Is it the Dinka? I'm trying to remember who exactly it is. Let me search for that. Um, Sacred bull, and it's associated with um, a sacred figure as well. Um, yep, so the boar and the dinka of Sudan. Um, they also have uh, a story of a mythical hero, and um, this this bull, you know, was a gift from his father, who was a river god. So, again, not wanting to stretch too much but yeah just noticing things that seem to connect yep anyway um it's a quiet room today so let me not pontificate for too long but um i'm going to release the book so um if you want to check it out the link um is here let me put the link to the book in here in case you want to go read it for yourself um there are quite a few notes in the book if you want to check it out um that will you know put more things in context um the symbolisms the animals the the connections that that will probably be helpful and this book is going to go into rotation so um we we have some books that we will return to over and over and this i i do this so that we can have some time you know to really immerse ourselves in in a particular culture and to go as far out you know back and forth in time and place as possible this year um just based on some comments on the timeline i'm going to try as much as i can to give attention to eastern african folklore um, to Northern African folklore, because I feel like West, Central, and South Africa tends to dominate in the folklore in the folklore arena. So that's that's the plan. But the link um, I've shared the link to the book um, in in the space, and you should definitely check it out. Um, as we wrap up, there's a couple more things that I I noticed. Um, there was a statement that was made about how the nature of all the gods was found in in the in the guy, but also in in the woman who turned out to be unfaithful. And that's just something that made me go hmm, because I can't say I'm well versed enough in the traditional and spiritual beliefs of ancient Egypt to really decipher what that means. But that's something that stood out to me as well. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed this story. Um, the other story that I want to read from this book, um, let me go to the table of content. There's one other story that 
I want to read uh, the exploits of um, Ozzy, the exploits of Ozzy Mandias. Um, and that's because the there is a poem, right? Um, that that uh, I forget who it was who wrote the the story, the 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 poem about Ozymandias, and I, I really definitely want to explore that. But there is also the daughter of the Prince of Bactan and the Possessing Spirit. Um, that's also a story that I want to read, so I'm going to have to come back for that. But it's it's uh, it's it seems a really fascinating book. I really, really encourage you to check it out if you're not familiar with the stories already. Um, or come back to story time to hear about it. And um, hopefully one day, because that's always fun, We'll have someone in the room who is well versed in ancient Egyptian traditions, and then that will be that will be a fun conversation to have. So um, next week we'll be back on the thirty-first, and we will be looking at folklore from Madagascar. Um, that's something that I'm I'm going to try to be better about this year. I'm letting people know well in advance what we're going to be looking at, and right now I have. The, the the story time planned out to July. So we'll go to Madagascar, we'll go to the Maasai, uh, the Kabil people in Northern Africa, we'll go down to Equatorial Guinea with the Ndowi people, we'll go to Yoruba in Nigeria, then we'll go to Zanzibar, we'll do Ndebele tales, Fulani, Basotho, Kagu, we'll go back to Hajarai tales because those are always fun. And we'll, we'll jump around and, you know, find out more about what there are the interesting things in the stories of African peoples because that's our brand that's what we do here so I hope you enjoyed this story um, I I hope I did the reading justice um, it's always interesting the language that is used and this made me feel like I was reading a biblical story which again it's kind of similar to the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, so maybe that makes sense. Um, but thank you guys for making time to join, for being accommodating with the, the time shift, because that has been really challenging the last couple of weeks, um, getting people adjusted to the new time frame. But we'll, we'll keep it going and see um, how far we can go. So thank you all again. Um, hope you have a great rest of your week. Please be safe out there. And I will see you all on the Twitter streets. Thank you all. If you'd like to participate in these discussions, please follow Mythological Africans on Twitter at Mythic Africans and set a reminder for Friday evenings at 5 p.m.